Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Paul Bay. Paul is the creator and co-creator of the podcast, The Big Loop and The Black Tapes. He's also a TV developer and the author of You Suck, Sir, Chronicles of a High School English Teacher and the Smartass Students Who Schooled Him. Paul, what's going on, man? We're really excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be on the show. I, I think I've let it be known to you uh, privately that I'm a, I've been a fan of your podcast for so long, and I've learned so much of what I do right now from your interviews with guests because you get in deep with them. And I found out a lot of that is very practical like because I'm learning now as I'm, I've sort of thrown into the deep end uh, of the TV development world. And I'm learning a lot of the stuff that your guests were saying was actually practical advice. Love that. That's super awesome to hear. I think you're definitely one of the first guests you know, some of our guests have listened or checked out an episode or two, but definitely I know on Twitter, you've always been a supporter and you've always been a listener. And we really appreciate that, number one. And it's super awesome to hear that the episodes are helpful, which is our goal. You know what I mean? So we're happy to have you on. And obviously, the inception of this episode is that, you know, you were mentioning on Twitter that an art of the pitch episode would be really relevant and helpful. And we've never done that before. So we're excited to uh, have you on. I'm excited to share what I what little knowledge I have in such a compressed, uh, compressed amount of time. So, you know, my first question is always, where are you in the world? I want to say you're in Vancouver, but educate me. Let me know exactly where you are. Yeah. So I guess if you're not from Canada, I, I always identify myself from Vancouver, but from people in my province, uh, I like to specify I'm in the village of Lions Bay. Uh, there's only like about just over 500 houses here. We're on the mountainside on the way to Whistler, uh, this popular ski resort. So we're, we're cu- we don't have any stores. We don't have anything in our, we have a little village store, no gas station. So I'm in a village where the only concern is make sure you have enough gas to leave. You know, I went through your bio. You have a very diverse skill set, you know, podcast <laughs> production, TV development, you're an author. But you also mentioned before the podcast that you are also a pastor and a stand-up comedian. So I would love for you to kind of give us your own backstory, origin story, as far as tell us the whole story about, you know, what storytelling means to you. And we can kind of move from there and talk about how that applies to the pitch and pitching a TV show. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I think I, there is a very recognizable thread going through my life. It's, uh, and my mother sort of identified it for me when I, when I was quite young. She said I was always a storyteller, an oral storyteller. Um, I was always the kid in the block that, you know, had people, my friends around me, and it's my turn to tell the story. And I, I could, I could, uh, I could engage listeners. So that naturally translated after college, um, I became a, a evangelical youth pastor that didn't last too long because I lost my faith. So uh, I thought, well, what, what else can I do where I get to share things and help young people, uh, but take God out of the equation. So I used my English lit degree and became a, a high school English teacher. And I did that for quite a while. Then uh, I got challenged to, well, I got sort of overworked in teaching. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work for little pay. So I thought, well, what, where, where can I go with, these, with this skill set where I make even less pay? So I became a stand-up comedian. 
I did okay there uh, in Canada. I uh, went to Just for Laughs, uh, performed in Los Angeles and all that kind of stuff. Um, that did okay. Uh, but then my friend Terry Miles, quite a well-known independent film uh, maker in Vancouver, he kept wanting to do a podcast with me. And I didn't understand what podcasts were. And he was starting to tell me in 2013, uh, you know, let's do a podcast. And I didn't want to be, I, di- I didn't like the idea of me giving my hot takes on issues uh, with my friend. I'd rather we keep that separate. So I didn't know what to do. So we had together written a screenplay um, called The Black Tape. It was just one tape uh, about a ghost hunter who doesn't believe in ghosts. And I, we, we churned that out, gave it to his agent, and it went nowhere. And then um, out of frustration, when Terry was visiting one day, I said, too bad we can't turn this into a podcast. And Terry's eyes lit up. And he's like, why the hell not? And I, I didn't understand what he meant because I didn't listen to audio fiction. But he had it all in his head right away. And he goes, just, let's just write it and I'll show you what we're doing. So I had to sort of like write it with him and figure out, oh, this is what, why are all these actors in my house? Oh, I see what we're doing here. Terry had the mic salt. He knew exactly what we're going to do because he's a director and he produces his own stuff and he edits his own stuff. And um, yeah, and then that became, we did that for the purpose of getting our screenplay out there. And it seemed to have worked. Uh, it, our, our podcast went popular. Um, I ended up with my manager, Guyman Cassidy, uh, who owns 360. He flew up to Vancouver to meet us. Um, and then we took it out. And next thing you know, NBC bought it in the room a few years later. So yeah, that's how I became a, uh, a podcaster. And then all of a sudden, accidentally, a TV development person. That's super helpful because I feel like you giving the context to the fact that your podcast was a pitching tool. You know, as we talk about the art of the pitch, you know, I'm very curious to hear about, you know, what it means to be a pitch, but also these supplemental tools. Because obviously, you didn't just have a pitch, you had a podcast that you used to pitch and to get a deal. So it's interesting that not only are you talking about the pitch itself, but using a podcast to do it. So that being said, are you ready to school us on the art of the pitch? I am ready to school on the art of the pitch. Let's do this. I love it. I love it. Okay. First question, pitch. When you think of that word, what does it mean? Because it can mean a lot of things, and it can be used for a lot of different mediums. So in the context of this episode, what are you thinking as far as a pitch? Whenever I think of pitching, uh, and that could be from your... I always think of when you meet somebody, you're always pitching. It's, I, hate to think of, I hate to bring up uh, always be selling, like always be closing uh, from uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But that's sort of how it plays in my head, like always be pitching. When you get an opportunity... Like every, I'm in Canada, so I don't get these opportunities. So Whenever I'm brought down to LA, I get five days and uh, my manager will bring me out and introduce me to all these people. And I'll always be two things. So the first one I'm always pitching is pitch myself. Um, and it doesn't mean sell myself. Just, just, be, just be nice. Be, uh, show them who I am. Uh, if, like, I, I don't like forcing myself on others. Um, just naturally have them intrigued. Oh, you're from Canada. What do you do? I'm a, oh, you're a podcaster. Or you're not making TV shows. So they'll ask the questions, and, but I'll have good answers ready. Uh, that's where the, self, the pitching yourself comes in. Um, because I kept hearing from other people, uh, well-known showrunners, who said, when you're pitching, you're not just pitching your idea or your TV series or your movie. You're pitching yourself because they're about to trust you uh, with a lot of money and with a lot of staff and people around you. And are you the type of person who can calmly lead and captain this ship uh, to where it needs to go? And in terms of, you know, we'll kind of frame this episode around pitching TV shows or a TV show pitch. I know maybe traditionally it was always, you know, maybe a deck that's then presented. 
but also in the case that you mentioned earlier, you had a podcast that was used. So when you think about pitching, how do you separate the actual pitch itself from the tools that you need to kind of uh, help elevate that pitch? Walk us through kind of what the, what the tools are, what the format is. Yeah. So, so the tools are actually quite common because what's happened between television, pitching a television series and pitching a podcast series. Um, uh, I, I just sold two series to Spotify, audio fiction series, original series. And Spotify didn't, all these big companies, Spotify, Wondery, they're not buying it just to have as an audio series, which, which would be fine because they're, they're beautiful little stories. But they, their interest is not the same as uh, a creator's interest necessarily. They want to turn it into a TV series. So we're finding all the podcast uh, hubs. They've hired television executives uh, and, and sort of brought them into the podcast world. So I'm finding I'm pitching the same people. Uh, when I pitch NBC, uh, those executives could end up at Spotify or at Wondery or uh, anywhere else. So the, the tools are the same. Um, so I'm finding a lo- the tools are basically preparation, um, rehearsal over and over again. And I like, to, I like to go off book. I like to not use my notes so much. Uh, but I do have notes. I remember this one time I was pitch- I can't say who it was. I was pitching a TV series and it was going so well. And in the middle of it, I was so excited. And someone asked me a question. It totally threw me off. Uh, I gave a good answer, but then I totally lost my place. And the, the momentum, you could just see it. I could see it leave the room. Like you just, everyone sort of, and they become nervous for you. You probably heard this. <laughs> the executives became so nervous for me. And I, I felt like, oh, this reminded me of their amateur comedy days. Like, I'm just dying. <laughs> and then I just had to say, do you mind if I access my notes, which were in my pocket? So I had to take out my note cards, which I only used in the green, like the, the, the waiting area to go into the rooms. And I don't know why I forgot where I was. And I just went through. And ever since then, I found my place. But ever since then, uh, and I've asked ex- executives about this. They're like, yeah, we'd rather, even if you don't use it, have the notes next to you so we don't get nervous on your behalf. So it's like, I guess when I went into rooms with nothing, they all sort of went, oh, fuck, is this guy going to, is he going to be able to do this whole thing for 45 minutes? As far as the pitch, just because I want to separate it a little bit, when you're pitching a TV show, you sometimes in the case of, you know, the podcast, you had the podcast already as a pitching tool. Can you break down the difference between, let's say, taking that podcast to a TV studio as opposed to what you just mentioned about? going to Spotify and pitching a podcast that will later be turned into a TV show? Is there a breakdown in your mind as far as what those two differences are? And are you aiming for both? Are you trying multiple different paths? Or is there one that you're kind of leaning towards? There isn't much of a difference because every time I'm brought into, uh, for example, the Black Tapes, we took that to 11 places. And only a couple of the people had actually heard or listened to any episodes of the Black Tapes. So you're just telling them basically the numbers. Well, I go in with my manager and he'll tell them, so I don't have to brag, he'll tell them, oh, the, the Black Tapes has 43 million downloads, which means so-and-so listen. And so he'll give them the, the data that they need. And they're like, oh, they're nodding. So that, that's only to let them know this is the built-in audience so that if we launch a television series, uh, this, you could expect a certain number to come over from the podcast. Like it's a built-in audience already. So this is a strong IP. That's the only difference. And the rest of it is, we pitched the Black Tapes series, TV series, just like I would, um, like I did my original series for Spotify. There, there was very little difference. I'm, I'm, I'm ex- getting them excited. I give them the, the quick story. Uh, then I go right into the characters and the, and, the, and the pilot and the series. Tell us about the inception of ideas. Where are you getting your ideas that you want to pitch? 
where are you even coming up with them? Do you have a list of 10 and you're like, you know what, I want to pitch these top three. Are you trying to pitch, you know, multiple, where are they coming from and how are you prioritizing them? Yeah. So I'm always, that's a good question. I'm always keeping, uh, 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 it used to be a notebook, but now it's on my computer. I keep, uh, in my notes app, I keep a running list of possible ideas. Uh, and then I, I know, I noticed, you know, I've got three dogs. I have to hike them every day, uh, cause they're quite active. Uh, and I live on a mountainside. So it's always an hour a day. I'm out in the woods. And sometimes when I'm, I'm thinking and just walking, certain ideas from that list will keep coming back. And those I'll cut and paste from the, where they are in the list to a separate list. Like, Oh, this might have legs. And then if I, I notice I'll, I'll keep some of those ideas keep building and building. And then all it takes, and you probably heard this from other writers. All it takes is me watching a TV show or uh, uh, listening to a song or watching a movie. And all of a sudden something will click that missing piece that, and it's often a character, a character element. And I'll insert it into or, or fit it into that existing idea that has legs and move and create a whole new document and folder for that. And I'll start slowly building like this series idea. Uh, I'll start thinking about the ending. I'll start thinking about the major characters. I'll start breaking it off. I'm like, does, does this have multiple seasons or is this like a, a one-off? Um, then I'll decide, is this a TV series or is this a podcast? Often I try to make it as a podcast first because um, uh, as you know from talking to other people, it, it's uh, TV executives tend to buy these days existing IP. So it used to be uh, books and, and then it moved on to like, let's take this blog idea or let's take this newspaper uh, article, uh, this investigative piece that we found. Now a lot of it is podcasts, and um, it's very hard to pitch an original idea so uh, to a TV studio. So I need to try to think of the podcast version of this. So I'll have two separate documents. I'll have the podcast version, which is all audio-led. Uh, then I'll try to think of the TV version, because that way I can give it to my, uh, my agent and my manager and see, does anyone like this? <laughs> So often I'll give them an idea and, you know, half the time they're like, yeah, that was a good read. Thank you, Paul. And they're polite about it. And they'll, they'll be like, okay. And it's a polite pass. Like we're not going to, we're not taking, this is not ready. Or uh, my manager will usually come in and say, you know, this, this, I've seen this type of thing. Or I'm like, okay, got it. Or no one's often they'll be market oriented. They'll say, there's not really, we don't see a space for this right now. Or we'll get really specific. Like, uh, here's the studios that are, that have told us they're not buying this type of story for the next year. I was a little shocked by that. I'm like, oh, okay. So this idea is totally off a of, uh, waste of time because now I only have two places to pitch this. But if I get lucky, I'll, I'll have an existing idea. I build it and I'll give it to them. Uh, so this just happened recently where I gave it to my manager about maybe a month ago. Uh, and he's a busy man. He was, he, he was the manager of uh, the guys who ran the Game of Thrones. So, you know, he doesn't have much time for me until this idea came out. And then he just suddenly picked up the phone and he goes, where the hell did this come from? And I reminded him, oh, I gave this to you a while ago, but I told you it was a podcast pitch and you didn't say anything much. But I think he needed to see the full TV version to get him excited. Like a lot of people don't talk about how you sometimes need to do the work. Even if you have a manager or an agent, you still have to work at getting them excited. Like you're, you're pitching them too, because they have a lot of clients. And so he got so excited to stay with me on an hour on the phone. He's like, Wait, where do you see this going? And he goes, I'm excited. Let's build this out. So we built it out and I built it out with him. Um, and he did so much work with me. I said, do you want to be a producing partner on this? He goes, yeah. And we took it out. And I sold it last week. An original idea to one of my favorite Congrats. TV networks. Congrats. That's Thank awesome. You. So I can't wait till uh, we can announce this. Uh, but now other people are interested. So I'm, I'm finding I have to refine this. And you know, we're looking for producing partners because 
honestly, who's going to trust me to helm a show? <laughs> I, have, I haven't even been in a writer's room. I'm not, I, ha- I don't even have enough credits to be in the WGA and yet I'm selling a show. So I think the idea is I will help create it, write the pilot, and then with somebody else. And they will come in and uh, uh, shepherd it there and I'll be a creator or whatever titles they decide to give me. Because that's what happened with the Black Tapes. We had Matthew Arnold, uh, who has a lot of experience as a showrunner, and he sort of led the group. And I got like a quarter writing credit for that pilot. But, but it was, a, it was, a, it was a quite the learning experience. So we talked about the inception of idea, but going back, you mentioned preparation. So walk us through... You know, I'm assuming the preparation comes before you're making a pitch, and I'm assuming historically the pitch would be in person. Maybe these days it's more of a Zoom kind of thing. What does your preparation look like? So that one, I'm so grateful that I have as a stand-up comedian um, because I'm finding uh, those strengths of oral storytelling. Because when I did stand-up comedy, you're on stage for uh, 30 to 60 minutes telling a story and trying to keep, keep like one large story about yourself and trying to keep um, the audience engaged that whole time. Well, now you're doing it in front of maybe two to four people across the table from you, or, or nowadays uh, on a Zoom call, and you're sustaining eye contact with them. So that experience is basically memorization in beats. So I will prepare by uh, memorizing my pitch. I basically just go over, there's no other way to do it. You just sit down and memorize it. I have titles on my pitch document for myself that no one else sees uh, to help me in my segue. So I'll start with, uh, the title will be uh, personal, and I'll I will lead in with, always with something about myself. So I'm not even talking about the show. I gave an example on Twitter the other day. So uh, for example, if I uh, if the pitch, let's pretend this show about canines, about dogs who hunt like cryptid canines, about a man and his three dogs who hunt sasquatches, uh, ghosts, beasts, all that kind of stuff. So I will start with a personal story about how I was lonely, how I needed. Uh, love in my life, but I didn't know. I just, I just pushed people away, and all of a sudden, I adopted a dog, then another dog, and another dog. Next thing you know, they helped me learn. Oh, I, I, I was afraid of people. Time to face those fears and not be afraid anymore, and and do that by helping people. This is how I came up with cryptid canines, and that's when the the segue to the next section starts. Uh, tease the idea. So, so I just did the personal connection, like a personal story, and the executives are probably thinking, like, where is this going? And which leads them, and it, oh, I always get them <laughs> smiling. Like you want to see them smiling at your lead into, and this is how I came up with this. So they already have the log line before the pitch meeting. That's all they have. They have like, okay, this is a show about a guy and three dogs helping people. So when I came in with a personal story, they're like, okay, where is this going? And so when I hit that log line, which I don't really say, I just say, this is a story about that. And they'll be like, oh, now we're hooked. So now I tell them, so this is about a guy named Paul and his three dogs who go place to place hunting. And then I give them a quick summary. Then I jump into the, uh, the Paul section, the character section. You talk about your lead protagonist, or if it's an ensemble piece, a few of your lead protagonists. But you know, I try not to go too long on each one before I get to the actual story, or else they start to drift. So keep the, keep the character stuff exciting. I like to build the big character beats in the actual, when I'm explaining what the pilot is. So, so far now, we have three sections. We have the personal story that leads into the pitch. We have the... Uh, teaser for what i'm about to say then we have the characters so once i've done that i go okay now let's start the pilot and i'll actually say it like that okay we're good so they're prepared because that's when they really start taking notes um it took me a while to learn them like uh when, whenever i walked into a room and i'm talking they would start writing and i'm like i i because I, I you know it's that feeling of like talking to a doctor and, he, and he's just nodding and then all of a sudden when he writes something you're like oh that's bad 
or, or when you're a teacher, uh, you're writing the students know, oh crap, what it was, what is it now? So I, I had that initial instinct, like this is not a good thing. Apparently, it's a good thing when they're writing notes, um, so they could pick because they have to now pitch it to their bosses to see if they can buy it. So you're you're telling the pilot, you're going through the beats, and as I'm going through the beats, I'm going back to the character. I'm always tying it into the character, like you know, and Paul cares because this reminds him of the time when he was divorced or this person left him. So that's why they left the Sasquatch alone, <laughs> whatever silly thing he come up with. So that's the pilot section. And that takes up half your whole pitch. Uh, I've done pilots where it's like 15 to 20 minutes of me just talking about the pitch. So you got to memorize all that. Um, that part I will prepare by just pacing. That works for me. I'm a very physical person. I use my arms when I uh, uh, explain the pitch. I sometimes lift uh, pictures. Uh, I, d I don't try to use visuals too much because I want them focusing on me. Um, I use facial expressions. Sometimes I'll go into voices, right, uh, to imitate the characters. And then um, if I can, if I can uh, do that pilot pitch on my own, like maybe a dozen times in a row, I know I'm ready. Uh, and so uh, when I rehearse these things and prepare, I do it a section at a time. I don't try to do the whole thing at once. So I will do the personal story, do that over and over and over again. Do the teaser, do that over and over again. Talk about my main characters, rehearse that, do it over and over again. Then the pilot, repeat it. And then at the end of that, after the pilot, I have the big season one arc. And those are the main beats. And that usually takes about five to 10 minutes. Uh, recently, I did a 15-minute one because there, there was so much mythology involved, and uh, which is usually a mistake because you don't want to bore them. But uh, I tied in character at the same time uh, to make it relevant and, you know, and not to bore them. Uh, and that one I will memorize and rehearse to myself over and over and over again. Uh, and then the closer. I just talk about the closer, about future seasons. About, and I tie it back to the theme. And this is important because in my life, and, and this is where I go into like, why I'm the person to tell this story, why they, why it can't be someone else, why they can entrust me to tell this story. Um, and you end on that. So I rehearse all those different sections on their own. And then I will time myself and start my iPhone um, stopwatch and just go through it at a good pace. And I try to, and every time I screw up, I will stop and start from the beginning. Um, that's always worked for me when I did stand up. Because uh, sort of like it refocuses you. So you really need to like book off hours at a time to prepare for these things. Some people call it overkill, but I've learned in my experience, they'll throw stuff at you. Every room is different. And so I need to memorize it forwards and back so that I could just pick up where I left off. Um, and I will memorize it with the cue cards that I have. I now have the, the five cue cards of the five different sections right in front of me during pitches. And, I'll, and so I can refer back. They're not nervous anymore. They know I'm ready in case I forget where I am. Um, but I'll rehearse it with that. So if I screw up, I could look back at the note cards and just pretend in situation, like what, this is what would happen if I forgot where I was in the middle of my, uh, season arc. Um, and that's pr pretty much how I prepare. Some people I know, uh, friends of mine prepare in front of their spouses. Like they'll rehearse and recite the whole thing in front of their spouses. I don't like doing that to people. I've never, <laughs> I think it's torturous to have to ask them <laughs> to do that. So I just do it myself. I'm good at visualizing an audience. I, I visualize, visualize people not smiling or stone faces. I picture the worst audience and I do it that way. And so that's how I prepare. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. 
I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned some of the tools earlier and you just mentioned that you don't usually use visuals. But could you break down what some of the tools and materials are? Obviously, there's the podcast version. I would love to know for that podcast version, I'm assuming you're not playing that in the middle of a pitch. I'm assuming that's a tool you send to entice to get a greater pitch meeting. Yeah, no, it's a, the podcast is almost out of my hands. Like the, that, the, I think of the podcast as the billboard that made them call my business, right? So the podcast is like a calling card. Like I haven't met any executives that actually listen to the podcast. Actually, that's a lie. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, I've met some um, and they're the ones, but I'm talking like when you're, when you do so many pitches, uh, you get the sense, uh, and you, I, I started asking, have you heard this? And they're like, no, I haven't. We just heard about it. We heard it's great. And so um, uh, I'll quickly sometimes say, well, the podcast is about this. But I, really, I learned you could sort of drop that because they already sort of know it. Um, and so I'll just, just in case, I'll give like one or two sentences. Well, the podcast is about this. But so here's my take on it because that's all they really want. They want the TV version right away. Uh, they don't really care what the podcast is. All the, you're in the room because your podcast brought in so many listeners. Um, on the rare occasion, I've had people hear about a podcast that I'm making and say, you know, can we listen to a thing or read a, a, a thing before you even come in? And they'll fall in love with it that way. Uh, but it's, it's very rare when you have an executive who's actually heard it. And it's actually delightful uh, when you have someone. There's been a few instances where the assistant has heard it. And that, they're the ones who brought it to their attention. Uh, the black tapes got to my manager's attention because the assistant, Chad, he was driving around LA and he heard it based on um, a friend at a party who just mentioned it to him. He fell in love with it, told his uh, 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 guyman. And so during our first call on the conference call, you could hear, I could hear Chad laughing and just his sounds of delight because he's the fan. And he's sort of urging on his boss, come on, love this with me. So that, that's always an advantageous thing. Uh, I think it was Hulu that we pitched, or I can't remember who it was now. We pitched everybody for the black tapes. Um, and I remember the assistant brought us in for his boss, and the boss had no clue. And, and the assistant's like, see, every time we said something, the assistant sort of raised his arms at us and looked at his boss like, see, <laughs> isn't this great? And so that was sort of like, that was pretty cool. But that's very rare. So the, the podcast is not a tool. It's the thing that got you in the room. Other visual aids, though, uh, I've, I've heard now on Zoom calls, because there's Zoom pitches, I've heard... Through the grapevine, some people are now using short videos uh, to pitch stuff. 
that's not confirmed because I don't personally know anyone who does that. I don't know why you would do that because they're there to judge you. Like, again, it's always the two pronged pitch. You're pitching yourself and the idea like that. They don't know if I made that or if, if a friend made that or someone else unconnected that I'm not giving credit to made that. Uh, I'm pitching me. So that's the other reason I don't like to use visuals. I like, I like 45 minutes of them assessing me as a creator, uh, me in a room telling, uh, uh, encouraging, nurturing, uh, telling people the story, me uh, in a production tone meeting. I, I, I need them to visualize me doing all those things. Uh, so th that's my philosophy. So I don't like using those other things. I've heard people using these huge white, um, they bring in the, one of those uh, stands like uh, where they could put these cards, these big boards, and they've made visuals. Some people, the coolest thing I've heard is in an ensemble piece where there's too many characters to keep track of, they make these cards, uh, uh, five by seven index cards, they'll dream cast the parts. So they'll have all these cards as, as they explain the characters, like I said, in the, the third section of the pitch, you, you, you describe your lead characters. As they go one by one, they'll put the cards out and have them face the executives. Like, here's Julie. She's da 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 da, da. Here's John. He's a, and they'll follow it. And as they go through the pitch, they'll take the cards out one by one and show who's interacting in this moment or who's interacting in this. I think that's the coolest thing. Uh, I might use that one day. Um, but I think I'm afraid I would lose track of that. I've had so many years of training of just oral storytelling and that's my strength. And I'm, I think I'm just going to play to my strength, but for, for people who listen to this podcast, um, I assume there's a lot of people who, who like using the visual stuff and this might help them actually keep track of their story arc in the pitch. Like they might not need the cue cards to remind themselves. Maybe those characters can remind them of how to go through their pitch. What about a series Bible? I know sometimes there is a document that basically accompanies either a pitch that summarizes the series, goes to the characters, very similar to the pitch uh, information you described. Is that something that you ever use? So far, I've never had to make a, a series Bible because I've never had anything greenlit. Uh, I've just been doing a lot of pitching, a lot of uh, pickups, and then I'm in development on a bunch of things at the same time. So hopefully I get to the point where I have to make a series Bible. I, from, what I, from what I heard, from what I understand, the series Bible is not a pitch thing. Uh, it's, it's once they pick it up, once you do, once you, uh, write the pilot and if they say, let's shoot the pilot and that gets picked up, I think at that point you're supposed to make a series Bible or the series Bible comes with the actual writing of the pilot. Um, it, I, I'm pretty sure that is a step where you get paid, uh, for that. So I, I've never experienced that one. Um, I'm looking forward to it though, because I do like building worlds. I like mythology building. And, uh, uh, that's a part that's, the, that's the geeky part that every writer enjoys. Um, the ones who do enjoy it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm, I've not done that yet. But I've read a lot of beautiful ones. We've been talking about the pitch itself, but you know, you have a manager. What about those who don't have a manager? How do you find an opportunity to pitch? You know, obviously you mentioned the podcast itself and that building attention. Do you have advice on where a writer listening can either find a manager or find a way to get their idea out there? This one's, a, this one's a, something everyone asks, uh, it, it's a, and it's always different. Uh, you will hear from TV writers on Twitter, uh, movie writers, they always say, make something. You know, always make something. Like Franklin Leonard from The Blacklist, he's always a big proponent of just make stuff. There's people getting signed and getting pitch meetings by doing TikTok now. Uh, there's people doing uh, 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 viral videos. Uh, there's people making short films. Uh, and then there's people like me making podcasts. Um, and then you just cross your fingers that it goes viral or that it connects with the right person. Like the black tapes, um, went, went big. Uh, but, it all, but it, I needed that assistant to that is specific assistant, Chad, 
driving that day in Hollywood and falling in love with it at that moment in a space where his head could actually absorb it and be excited enough to, t- to take a risk to tell his boss about it. Um, so one is always make stuff. The other one is if you are on social media, always be, how do you say this? Uh, if, if you make stuff and it's, and you're very proud of it, um, there's a way to promote it and a way to be part of your, whatever your community you're in, um, where it's not, you don't become a reply guy, but you just become someone who helps other people. And then there's, cause when you do that, some people do take notice, like you're in their head, like one, per, I can't say who this is, but, um, I'm always looking out for new creators or creators with a lot of potential, uh, especially underrepresented uh, creators. Um, Cause I think I have a little bit of sway in the podcast community to at least to provide opportunities. So uh, twice now I've reached out to them. Uh, I said, what's going on with you? Do you have representation? And then I'll say, well, send me what you have. Then I'll, then I'll always send it off to my podcast agent. If, if, if it's cause it's, I have to vet them first because uh, it's it's uh, it's um it speaks to my read of character and I'll send it and I don't want to waste my podcast agent's time and flutter with a bunch of stuff so I send her uh, these people and uh, at least once now she signed somebody from that because uh, they told, they sent me a thank you letter so I know it works that that if you're if you're someone who's seen as contributing to the community and lifting up others and your stuff is really good and you're a professional. Uh, who who can juggle a bunch of things at the same time? Uh, then you'll often get people, and I see this especially in the TV writing community on Twitter. They are always sending people off to their agents, helping people be uh be discovered. Uh, because it's, it's it is a great feeling doing that. Um, so those are the only ways I could really I could really see. There is there is no magic bullet for this. Uh, mine was again luck that my friend asked me to do the black tapes screenplay, and then luck that we happened to think, oh, we got a way get it out there podcasting uh, and then we got lucky that the assistant listened to us as far as the pitch meeting itself you went through all the details and you talked about pitching the idea to those executives listening what are the next steps when do you hear back how long are you waiting walk us through what's going through your mind it varies studio to studio or network to network uh, i have i've had one thing in development with one tv network uh for i think it's it's yeah we just passed a two-year mark it's two years now <laughs> of us trying to figure out and it's not development hell. It's it's always us talking, me uh, sending in things like, how about this? How about uh, it, it is a very complex idea, and and I sense it's also they're trying to test this unproven TV writer, Paul. Can he do it? <laughs> and uh, um, it, it's one of those things. So that's two years. The Spotify deal they bought it last May. So I pitched a deck of three shows, each one with a 15, 20 minute pitch uh, in that hour. And they said, great. And then within two days, they said, we want two out of the three. That was last, last May. We didn't formalize the contract till this January when it came out in the trades. Um, it's, it's one of those things where just, you know, once they say yes, now it's time for your legal, legal reps to talk to, the, to their business department and for them to go back and forth on, on negotiations. And as a creator, you hope you just cross your fingers that they give you a fair deal a fair offer. And then your side tells you, uh, yeah, this is something that to do or, and, or this is something that we should stand firm on and turn away from, uh, which has happened for me before uh, on two other deals that they said, you know, this is, we know the marketplace and this is, this is not going there. And I had to trust them, just walk away from the table and hope someone else wants it. Yeah. So that's, that's, it varies. There is no uh, set timeline for this. As far as going back to the podcast version, just because specifically you have the experience there and it seems to be a tool that's worked for you, can you walk us through 
what's the production of the audio fiction podcast that could be used to entice studio executives looks like? What does that process look like? What's your mindset there? How do you make it as enticing as possible? So the first thing you want to make it, Terry and I always use this term sticky. Uh, you want it to be a sticky idea. If you're going to, if, if you are, there are different reasons to create an audio fiction. Uh, some people do it to, a lot of people do it just to express themselves, to, like why you would write a book. A lot of people write books not hoping for the big hit, but they just want to write a book. They want to tell us, they have a story to tell and they're passionate about it. That's great. Um, the big loop was that for me, uh, partly. Um, but the Black Tapes was a commercial venture to advertise our screenplay, basically, to get us representation and to get us a, a TV deal. So we, we needed an idea that um, basically we knew if, if like we don't have an advertising budget so we needed a strong word of mouth our social media presence at the time was was negligible so we needed something where if they hear episode 1 they will go around to their wherever circle of friends are with and like oh my god you guys got to hear this like we had it to be undeniable which meant huge cliffhanger uh, uh something they hadn't heard before something really scary uh so you know we needed something like that so when i gave terry here's my three ideas and he saw the black tapes, like, that's the one. Let's do that. So it, it, it becomes a thing where you want to create something that people can tell their friends about easily. And if possible, even in your own teasers, sort of preloaded for them. So we had a thing on our Twitter, the Black Tapes Twitter, and on our website. It's a ghost hunter who doesn't believe in ghosts, who meets, who has to take on a special case. That already, a ghost hunter doesn't believe in ghosts. That's the thing. That's the thing people are going to say at the party. And we were listening to uh, 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 what's a um, the Nerdist podcast, and we you know we listened to it all. We used to listen to it all the time, and then all of a sudden we heard uh, Kyle, uh, one of the hosts, say, "Oh, dude, I was at this Halloween party in, in Hollywood. Everyone's talking about the show called The Black Tapes." And so Terry and I high fived each other, we're like, "Hey, we did it! It worked." We the scenario we thought of at a party. This is where they would talk about it, um, and basically, you you have to create something that's undeniably, like you know, listeners are going to listen and go. I need to tell my friends. You mentioned that you had a screenplay first, potentially for some of these ideas that you then turn into podcasts. How do you convert that to a podcast form? Is it literal, having a narrator read the description and then actors read the characters? Do you change the format for an audio fiction podcast? How does it differ? Yeah, you basically it's a, because it's a different medium, and, and you're go and you're missing a, a a a major sense like a sight. Like you're basically. How would you go through the story and how would you tell the, how would you emotionally drive the story without the aid of visuals, uh, which then becomes a totally different story? Because now it's not, you need fewer voices automatically. Like, you know, the black tape, a screenplay had a lot of characters. Now you got to take them all away because it gets confusing. I don't like, personally, I don't like to use more than uh, three main characters in an audio fiction. Sometimes I'll stretch it to four uh, just because it becomes confusing um, and it becomes harder for people to talk about. Uh, if you could do one narrator, sorry, one single protagonist, in my mind, it's even better. I, I, I'm drawn to those types of stories for audio fiction. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different medium. Uh, you need you need to put your story in the hands. Uh, this is where the collaborative part comes in because the screenwriting, Terry and I felt we're on our own, uh, and I've written screenplays by myself all the time. But uh, for audio fiction, I'm really partnering up. I'm telling the story depending who my audio production partner is like my sound engineer like wh what are they capable of what can they do can they make it sound this way and can we can they translate what's in my head into this audio universe uh that i have zero control over 
Um, so it's 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 more of a collaborative storytelling because I know screenwriters, a lot of screenwriters, just write on their own and they uh, they don't meet the production team till afterwards. And you know, some of them aren't even allowed on set sometimes. Uh, and that's for movie screenwriting, but for, for for audio, it is an entirely collaborative process from beginning to end. You also mentioned earlier the types of ideas that studios are either looking for at the time or not. Some are looking for certain things, some aren't. But in general, for those writers who are listening, are there certain ideas or certain trends or certain things you'd suggest that they should and should not be even trying at this point? I don't know, not trying, but you know what? Uh, right now, I would avoid uh, cop shows. Uh, when I see everyone's wish list, those never come up anymore, uh, understandably. Uh, it's going to be like right now, it's, 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 everyone's going to have to look at the existing cop shows and think, you know, how are we going to have to, how are we going to address everything going on right now? Uh, with the Black Lives Matter uh, matters movement and every every issue that's brought up into people's consciousness, uh, where even Brooklyn Nine Nine has to look back on this and say, well, how do we how do we uh, contextualize ourselves in this new awareness, uh, public awareness? So that's out of, I would take that off uh, unless you have some a really really unique take on it that maybe even speaks to this moment. Um, I would avoid anything uh, with a ton of people. <laughs> Unless you can do it CGI, because just because of the, we're in the pandemic era now, and that sort of factors in. But generally, you want characters that they haven't really seen before in a situation that is unique that we haven't seen on TV. So, for example, uh, the one I just sold, uh, I know a lot of it has to do with I have a Korean American lead, um, and in a in a thing that you've sort of seen before in a genre that very familiar, but you haven't seen this type of character, uh, not just visually, but this. I can't give away too much of it, but just this type of character in that body, in that context. So if you could possibly, if you have a screenplay and you, you now have to re, retell your story, you have to reshape it because now it's like, it's a totally different context. It's a different universe for that character. And it, it, you might basically access everything personal from you. They could just pour out into the page uh, and cross your fingers. It leads to something that's, uh, Maybe not 100% unique, but something the executives haven't seen. What are your goals? What do you see for yourself? What are you trying to do? Walk us through what you hope to accomplish over the next few years. Yeah, but my new goals aren't really concrete yet because my previous goal a long time ago was make a living doing something I love. It was that general. And I loved writing. So I, I, you know, I, I, that's what I've been focusing on for decades. So now that I'm making a living from that, my, my new goal is really to sort of see something I've made on screen because it, it paid for the development part, but it'd be nice though to actually have uh, something I've made on screen one day, uh, like um, uh, a streamer or on, on, on a you know, uh, network TV, like anything. Uh, I don't write movies, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it on the big screen, but you know, just, I would love to see something produced that I've made uh, come off the page. Uh, that's, that's something that really excites me. I'm, confident i'm quietly confident that it'll happen just because i i've been lucky so far and i feel like i'm doing everything to keep that luck going it certainly sounds like it and we're excited to see what's on the horizon with that said paul you're familiar with what we call a series of seemingly random questions i believe at this point yes all right it is your time to shine my friend first question if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant which writer would you choose which restaurant and why so this is the one question I remembered to prepare for. Uh, it would be Alan Moore, 
it would definitely be Alan Moore at In-N-Out Burger. Just because I want to see him lift those burgers with those rings on his finger. And just, <laughs> and just joke about that for the whole time. We wouldn't talk about his books. We would just talk about the messiness of eating. I think I would get more from that than have, because I've seen him talk about his books. I don't need to hear him talk about his books. I just want to have fun with him because I haven't seen him have, have the joy that I get. It would be nice to bond over greasy burgers, watching his finger jewelry uh, uh, shine with grease. I love that. The next question, for those writers who are writing from their homes, maybe feeling restless, maybe having trouble focusing, how would you suggest they combat writer's block while working from home? Listen to podcasts. Whenever, and this is not because I'm a guest on your podcast, but you know I listen. <laughs> but the reason I listen to your it's podcast, true. Writer's Panel, Children of Tendu, Script Inscribed, I listen to all of those because I get writer's block all the time. And I need to sort of, I don't, I don't try to force myself through it. I'll give it five minutes or whatever. I'll stand up, put on uh, headphones, and I'll walk with my dogs. I'll, if my dogs are too tired and they've already walked and I get writer's block later in the day, I will run up the mountain with the, with the headphones on listening to a podcast. And I have my iPhone on me because I'm listening to podcasts. And I always, I don't think I've ever returned from a walk or a run not having made notes in my notes app listening to a writing podcast after writer's block. It always, maybe it doesn't solve that issue, but it solves another issue or helps me run another project. Like something's getting done. And just the, the, the feeling of breaking through a moment uh, will eventually lead back to you breaking through that writer's block. My next question, if you could suggest a question that we ask one of our next guests, what would you suggest as a question? Whoa, is this a new question? I don't remember hearing this question. This you know, we used to have this one early on, and then for whatever reason, haven't been asking it. If you want to suggest a question, we would then ask maybe the next guest. Not counting anything related to reading or writing, what brings you joy these days? That's a good one. Which leads me to my next question. Not counting reading and writing. What brings you joy <laughs> these days? Cooking. Cooking. I used to be a guy I hated cooking. I absolutely love cooking. I love, I love making something new, presenting it to my wife with a glass of wine, and then just watching her facial expression. It's like, it's like watching Phil Rosenthal on, on Netflix as everybody feed Phil, and you see him taste something that's amazing, and his eyes just pop open. She has those wonderful reactions to my food, and I just, that just brings me the most joy. Speaking of food, you've probably heard this one maybe early on. We used to ask it a lot. There are comfort foods and snacks sometimes that you have writer's block that maybe help you get in the zone. Maybe it's something sugary, maybe it's coffee. Are there foods and certain snacks that you like to kind of get you back in the zone? I don't like snacking. Uh, I like coffee, black coffee. That's the only thing I take. Um, if I, if I, it's seriously, if I feel stuck, I like to exercise or walk or get outdoors. I just like to get outdoors. Uh, but in terms of like things I consume, it's just coffee. And then the last question, which you're probably familiar with, if you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to those writers who are listening, what would you say, Paul? Always prepare for success. If you do anything, and you're doing anything not just for fun, but to actually, you know, it's, it's related to your career. Make it assuming you're going to be successful at it. That way you'll be prepared in case you get lucky. Love that. I don't think we've heard that one before. Well, thank you, Paul. This has been a really fun one. We're really excited about what you've got going on. I know you can't talk about exactly some of those projects, but based on 
what's going on. We have a feeling that your future is bright. So uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This was a wonderful time. Uh, and and I, again, uh, I hope everyone listens to not just this episode, but all your episodes, because there's something to be learned specifically to the craft in all of them. And thanks for doing this for our community. Of course. Do you want to plug anything, Paul? Your Twitter or your social media, even your book? Any projects that people can check out? Well, yeah, I got a book. Thanks for reminding me. It's called You Suck, Sir. <laughs> you Suck, Sir is, is a compilation of quotes I gathered over 12 years of teaching that my students have said. And they're all funny. Some of them are sad. Uh, some of them poignant. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's quite popular. Uh, so You Suck, Sir. I don't know if it's available in America yet, but it will be soon. It's available in Canada. And uh, try to order it from your independent local bookstore, if possible. And my Twitter handle is at uh, Mr. Paul Bay. And Instagram, same thing. Amazing. If you're listening, please check out Paul's book. And we'll all be looking out for those projects. Because we know in TV, when you sell something or you're developing something, it can sometimes take a little time to see it come to fruition. But when it does, it can be uh, a lot at once. So we're excited to see what's on the horizon for you. Thank you, Paul, again, for your insights and your time. It was an honor. Awesome. Thanks. I'll be listening. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at WriterExp. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.